Businessman turned spy. We are the Spy Fi Guys, and this is The Courier. Hello, and welcome back to the Spy Fi Guys, where we cover spy fact, spy fiction, and everything in between. I'm Zach. And I'm Christian. And today we have the 2020 Benedict Cumberbatch vehicle, The Courier. Zach, I thought we were done with the 60s. I thought so too, but (laughs) the Spy Museum gave us a nice preview, so we're recording it now. And before anyone asks, no, this is not a Fallout New Vegas movie. I was disappointed too. Those of you who played it will know what I'm talking about. (laughs) But this is a film starring Benedict Cumberbatch, and it is set during the 1960s about one of the biggest spies from the Soviet Union that um, that the, the, the West turned, whose name is Oleg, like pretty much... I can think of like three or four different Olegs who were traitors to the either Soviet Union or, or Russia. So I was like, all right, maybe they just KGB should just not hire anyone named Oleg. Well, I had heard of Oleg Penkovsky, but I didn't remember much in the way of details about his life mm-hmm. before seeing the movie, which I think helped. But with that, do we want to get into it? Yes, yeah, so here is the IMDb tagline. Cold War spy Greville Wynn and his Russian source try to put an end to the Cuban Missile Crisis. The Cuban Missile Crisis. That's not exactly accurate. (laughs) Uh, We just can't escape the Cuban Missile Crisis, can we? I know, it was a big part of the 60s. And I will say, though, that even though this is set in the 60s, it doesn't feel very swinging. I mean, the swinging 60s really didn't hit till the later part of the decade. Ah, there you go. But all right, let's get started here. It is based on true events this time, not on a true story. (laughs) And we open with some texts about the Cold War, imminent destruction, you know, the usual. The usual stuff, yeah. There's enough nuclear weapons to destroy the world five times over or whatever. And the beginning is Khrushchev shit-talking the United States (laughs) in the Soviet (laughs) parliament. I couldn't remember if this was like a famous speech or not. That's something I wanted to mention. So in the speech here, he says, we will bury you. Now, I know that's his famous line, and... I know that he was famous for saying it, but I don't yeah. remember when he said it. I seem to remember I that he know. said it. I thought he said it at the UN, not here. It could be. I mean, it also could have been like a preview for his speech. He's like, oh, people really like that line. I'll use it again. And I'll use it in front of the world. Well, what's funny that you say that is because have you seen The Death of Stalin? I have not. That's on my list to watch. I need to watch so it, it. It's a really good movie. Khrushchev is played by Steve Buscemi in it. Oh, well, that's just weird. <laughs> I know, right? But in like his moment of triumph over a political rival without he getting says, anything away, he says, we will bury you. So uh, I'm like, maybe he kept using that line or maybe a screener is like, oh, people, we know this. So this is going to be like his yeah, catchphrase. Probably. While Khrushchev is making his big speech, we're panning across different men at the speech. Well, you don't even see their faces. You're just panning the neck down, just seeing their, everyone's suit and tie. And it stops mm-hmm. on a man with a red tie and a tie clip. And this is Ole Penkovsky. Yes. And so we got to hear a scene of him looking at technical drawings in his office. He's standing across from the U.S. Embassy. He sees two American tourists, tails them for a little bit. Here's where they're going to be later that night. And so in an underground tunnel near, like, I think they said they were going to go to a concert. So he finds the two Americans. He does the classic, oh, could I trouble you for a light? Gives them the note, tells them to go to the embassy, gives it to, and give it only to the deputy chief of mission. Don't go back to your hotel. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. Yeah, that was crazy. That was crazy. If you need to get something to the American embassy and you don't want to be caught, what else are you going to do? That's a pretty good idea. 
But if you're the American in that situation, I would be like, I am not involved. Well, that's what one of the guys did. Is like he is like, I you couldn't don't do this. But the other guy is like, all right, you know, I'll take it. So we would be those two Americans then. If you were there, I would be like, okay, I'm gonna do this and I'm going straight there. And you would be the guy just standing there, like, what's what? No, leave me out of this. That is 100% correct. I have seen locked <laughs> up abroad. That's not happening to me. Though on the other hand. If you are on a study abroad program in Russia during the Cold War, you must have an adventurous spirit in the first place. Yeah. We next cut to London, MI6 headquarters. Yeah, and we meet Emily, who is literally a head turner. (laughs) Did you notice that? I did not notice that. And she tells us that Oleg Penkovsky is the man, the equivalent of a walk-in. Yeah. He doesn't literally walk in, but he offers his And she's meeting with two MI6 officials. And the reason she's doing this is because apparently there was a disaster with Popov because as a result of that, CIA doesn't have any people on the ground in Moscow. So they need MI6 help. That's right. As you were saying, the man is identified as Oleg Vladimirovich Petkovsky, mm-hmm. codenamed Ironbark. And I like the way he did it. He In the packet, he sent them a photo that only they would have. And he cut out his head so that they could basically identify it from there. Yeah, which is interesting because I think we've seen other spy movies or shows or real life stories where the spy never identifies themselves. Because the more people on the other end who know who he is, that's risky. Like true. there's all these traitors. True. But and I guess the the trade-off is that they needed to know who he is. Well, he didn't specifically identify himself there. He gave enough identifying markers right. that they could identify him. And I think he needed their help with getting the info out. He didn't have like a whole plan in mind, unlike some of these other people. Right. And he also needed them. If they knew he was, then he, they know he's for real and that everything he's telling them is real. Right. And he also included with the packet. So he sent some, you know, um, a right, a a note, but also a like men's catalog of like different tie clips and circled one of them. That's like the signal. Yeah. Yeah. So they mentioned also that Pankowski's GRU, which I don't remember what that meant. It's Army Intelligence, if I recall. Okay. They come up with this plan where they're going to use a businessman rather than an embassy worker because businessmen can travel back and forth and won't be suspected. Though mm-hmm. I guess once they use one, then all future businessmen will be suspected. But that's just the way it works, I suppose. Oh, apparently, GRU is not specifically Army, but just like military intelligence for the Russians or the Soviets at that time. Okay. James is like, I think I know someone who might work with that. And we cut to a golf game, which very reminded me of Goldfinger. Of course it, it was, does. Well, because it's that's it was very it's almost the same like setup shot where it's like you see the hole and you see you know the golf putt coming towards it and it just veers off at the end. Oh, you have a much more specific memory of Goldfinger than I do. Well, I just remember they played golf. Times. But it also looks like it's the same golf club from Goldfinger, Stoke Poges. Have I told you that joke already where it's, uh, do you expect me to putt? No, Mr. Bond, I expect you to drive. Uh, get it? It's all, it's all uh, golf humor for you. Uh, uh-huh. I, I, I get it. I get it. Anyway, so we meet Greville Wynn, who's played by Benny Cumberbatch. Yeah, and he's great. He's like bantering with his wife, bantering with his kid. I like the banter between him and the wife. Yeah, I like when he's like, sure, we'll spend the money. The kid didn't want to go to university anyway, right, kid? And the kid's like, that's right. <laughs> that was great. He gets a call at home, and it's James Dovey from the Board of Trade, who is James from the... Well, I don't know what his actual name was, but I just called him James. Mm-hmm. 
but he's from MI6. So he goes and has a drink with James and Helen. Helen. I love how we both, even though this is an audio medium, we both did some finger air quotes there. Well, it's just weird because in only one scene is she Emily. The whole rest of the movie, she's Helen. Have her down as Emily for the rest of the time. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. Okay. okay, by the way, what do you think about the name Helen? I have no strong feelings. There's some names that just irrationally annoy me, and <laughs> Helen is one of them. Why? I don't know why. It's weird. Okay, I think maybe it was reading the um, reading the Iliad in middle school. Oh, when I see Helen like, of Troy. Most oh. beautiful woman in the world is named Helen. It's just weird. It's like the most beautiful man in the world was His named. Was named <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's weird. No one right? would expect that at all. Exactly. <laughs> also, I have an aunt Helen, and although she's perfectly nice, <laughs> no offense to her, she's the only other Helen I've ever met in real life. Okay. Now Just that we've got on the diatribe of Zach's, you know, hatred of Helens. I didn't say hatred. I said irrational annoyance. <laughs> tomato, tomato. Anyway, so they go to have a drink at a bar and they do, again, my pet peeve, talking about classified stuff in a public place. Oh, sure. And they do that a lot in this movie. But before they get to that, they ask him about his job. You know, where have you traveled? Oh, have you, you know, you've done Eastern Europe. Have you gone to the USSR? Oh, not yet. And they say, well, you should consider it. It would be a great service to your country and i credit greville here because as soon as he's they say that they, he picks up on it music wait i'm sorry what yeah he's not slow yeah so he puts together and he's like i'm just a salesman i'm not a spy which of course made me think of i'm just an analyst yeah or any number of other things yeah. i can't be involved with you tom cruise i'm just an ordinary car mechanic <laughs> from texas or whatever she was from boston Whatever. But I like how he's like all excited about the fact that he's like having a lunch with spies. Mm-hmm. They tell him that you don't have to do anything dodgy or legal. Just, you know, do your normal thing. Yeah, do business as usual. They tell him, all right, well, when you're there, wear this tie pin. Mm-hmm. You don't have to say you don't know anything because you literally know nothing. Right. So he tells his wife that he's going to go overseas to the USSR. And she like makes a joke. Stay out of the gulag. Yeah. I mean, I would have said the same thing if someone I knew was going to the Soviet Union. Meanwhile, Oleg has this meeting with a bunch of other Soviet officials in, like, an industrial warehouse or something. Yeah, what was with that? Okay, so this movie reminded me, do you remember the movie Jack Slate? No. Maybe, I don't remember the title correctly, but it's a Polish guy who has, like, a machine that lets him write back, and he's also spying. And we saw it with the spy museum, but then I looked it up on IMDb and I couldn't find it. So maybe (laughs) I'm not remembering the name correctly. But anyway, I remember there's a part just like this where an enemy spy gets found out. He gets shot in the head, just like Popov does. Spoiler alert. And then he gets incinerated. Like they throw his body in an incinerator. Was that Popov? Uh, In this movie? Yes. Okay. I I just remember there was like they mentioned Popov, but I didn't know that that was Popov. And they they were shooting him in it. You know, maybe they didn't say his name. (laughs) I just kind of put two and two together. I remember that they mentioned Popov. Sorry, I'm derailing your point. I was just waiting for him to get incinerated, and then he didn't. So I think the movie might have been different, because every the one I'm thinking of, the mystery movie that's name I don't remember, (laughs) took place in Poland, and everyone was Polish. Oh, I vaguely recall this movie that you're thinking of, but I do not remember what it was called. Jack Strong? Jack Strong? Like, physically strong? Yeah. Okay, that, that was it then. Based on the true story of Ryszard Kulinski, a Polish army colonel who spied for the CIA during the height of the Cold War. There it is. There you go. So it's similar. Yeah. But Popov is probably not in it. 
Where were we before we got a little derailed there again? <laughs> Popoff dies. That's where we're at. Is that actually Popoff there? Oh, I don't know. Someone dies. The point is, they're trying to intimidate all the other people. And it shows that if you get caught spying, you die. So Gravel arrives in Moscow. He does a little bit of the sightseeing. He, go, he drives past, sees the Kremlin. Yeah, there's a nice crane shot of him walking along the water. That yeah. looked really good. I did like that shot of the water. So in one of our previous episodes, I made a joke about how pretty much every time you see a generic European city, it's Prague. Guess mm-hmm. where this was filmed? Really? Yeah. Oh. He goes and has the, meet, the meeting with uh, the Soviet department that Oleg works for. He meets Oleg and Oleg notices his tie clip. Mm-hmm. So Oleg finds him after the pitch, invites him to lunch. You know, how do you do go overseas? But what about the politics of it? And, you know, Greville basically says, you know, he stays out of the politics. Everyone needs, you know, materials and I can put some supply them. That's right. And they say later, oh, the only thing Greville cares about is making money. Typical capitalist. <laughs> so they're like setting that up. But then they go yeah. out on the town together. And to go to the ballet, the Russian ballet. Very famous, very wonderful. There's a whole big deal because Khrushchev is in his box. They show like everyone like looking to him. Like, I remember, do they all stand? No, they don't stand. They just look at him, which uh, I thought okay. was weird. I was like expecting them to stand. I didn't realize that like, Khrushchev in his box was like a thing. No, it's just the fact that he was there, I think, being a big a world leader. And for Greville to see him just there, I, right. I think is a big deal for him. Also, like, I was like a little annoyed. It's like, all right, so they build up this ballet and then they don't show it. Oh. All you see is just their faces. I, was, I mean, come on. <laughs> anyways after the ballet they're walking back oleg compliments gravel on his tie clip and he's like mm-hmm. oh it's a, you know it was a gift from a friend is that oh was that a friend american uh <laughs> so oleg reveals that he knows that the american sent him and gravel you know, says you know, so what happens now i was like well just you know go home invite oleg back to the uk with a trade delegation he's like oh your country will be okay with it oh yes no i'm supposed to do this sort of thing and steal your secrets basically <laughs> Uh, nice. And he also tells Greville to call him Alex. That's why in my notes, I just have him as Alex the rest of the time. Yeah, because he does refer to him as Alex a lot in actual yeah. dialogue. Mm-hmm. I was trying to think, is like, is that the Russian equivalent of Alex? Oleg? Or is that like a... It's not his middle name, because it was... What was it? Vladimirovich. He's probably like, I need a nickname that an American or British person, excuse me, can pronounce. Yeah, Everyone uh, knows me Alex. <laughs> Greville goes home and the delegation tours some facilities where some of uh, Alex's fellow Soviets like blatantly steal some stuff. Oh, I didn't notice them stealing. Yeah. Stuff. Uh, he also funny. takes them out to the West End. And they play Let's Twist Again by Toby Checker. This is my favorite part of the movie. What? Yeah. I mean, it's, 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 it's fun. Yeah. But also like as they're like seeing the West End and all, all of the bright lights. One of the Russians comments on, like, the Wecker decadence and saying this is why they're weak. Mm-hmm. Greville seems to head home. Yes, Alex also pre- pre- pretends to go to his room, but instead goes to a different room where Greville comes and gets him from there, and they go to another place to meet the spies. Yeah, so they have a secret meeting with the spies. Alex says he's scared of Khrushchev because Khrushchev wants a confrontation with America. He says, the new edition of Military Thought, which I assume is like some sort of magazine or things that's sent out in the Soviet Union. Mm-hmm. But before he does anything, Alex wants assurances that he can defect with his family. And he's like, okay, well, I'll remain in place and provide information. But that information needs to be used as a tool to bring peace, not a weapon. Yeah, he wants to avoid nuclear war. He doesn't want to hurt the Soviet Union. Yeah. 
he also reveals that America's new capability is superior to the USSR's. They don't yet have first strike capability. That's right. Alex also requests that Greville continues to be his contact, which Greville does not like this idea. He's like, oh, he thinks about his family. Do either of you have that? I was like, well, of course, no, you couldn't tell me such a personal detail. Mm. And then Emily, sensing this, like, goes on the full offensive with, like, the guilt trip. Yeah, I wonder if she's Jewish. <laughs> I haven't seen a guilt trip that oh. strong since the side of what, like, Munich? Oh, yeah, but she basically tells him that the four-minute warning that they have, if a mm. nuke is coming, is useless to him. Yeah, I don't know why she needed to go that low. She was sensing good intel officer is going to be able to sense those weaknesses and sense all right you're worried about your family here's what i can say that'll make you turn that worry about your family into something i can use yeah when the button is pushed there's no running away it occurs to me that it must have sucked to live during the cold war in a country like denmark or like <laughs> okay. or like syria where if there's a nuclear war you won't even have voted for one of the guys to like Ooh. make the decision about that your fate is entirely dependent on somebody else's decision. Yeah, no, that, that's a fair observation. Anyway, so we go back to Greville, who's answering the door at his house. It's Alex. Mm-hmm. And there's a good scene here where the kid, like, asks if the Russians really hate us. And yeah, Alex and- has a really good response of, like, your politicians hate our politicians and, and vice versa. But people, you, me and your father, you know, we don't hate each other. and We're just two people who could work together. And maybe it starts from there. I was like, wow, that's pretty good. Yeah, you know, it's just what to say. It's almost like he had it ready. There's this thing in the police song with a similar idea. That. <laughs> yeah, and so Alex convinces Greville to be the courier. He says that you can't tell Sheila, but you'll be fine, you'll be safe. Or if, if you're caught, you might be sent away to a prison for a few years, whereas if I'm caught, I'll be executed. Willing to put my hands, your life in your hands like that shows you how confident I am. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Greville says, I've given Sheila reason not to trust me in the past. Oh, right, yeah. So I was like, ooh. That's a twist. And so next we get a scene of Alex, James, and Emily teaching Greville tradecraft, basically. Mm-hmm. So as this is going on, we see that we see sort of like is a montage of Greville and Alex meeting in the USSR and Moscow, handing <laughs> off information. It was good. I like this. There's a part where Oleg uses these elevators that are moving constantly. Do you uh, remember this? I it's don't very, know. It's very brief, but an elevator going up and an elevator going down and there's like a hand railing. It looks like something out of the Star Trek engineering <laughs> room, but they're, they're in continuous motion. Yeah. It's like an escalator. So that's like timing is step on. Huh. I've never seen I something like that I, before. I, I have to rewatch it and look for that. Yeah. Uh, but Greville's only thing that he's, is he, that if anything happens to him, he wants to make sure that his family is provided for. Yes. Back at home after one of his trips, Greville and his wife, you know, they kiss and then they just go at it. Uh, yeah. She's, like, what got into you? I was like, oh, I missed you. I was like, oh, you didn't miss me any of the other times? Nah, that, that's a good follow-up question. Yeah. But I think it's because his brush with death has, like, made him feel more alive. Yeah. Next, we go to Langley. And probably the only time in a movie we've seen where we go to Langley and we don't get the seal and the stars at all, ever. <laughs> Maybe they hadn't added them yet. You're probably right. Mm. Huh, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, I liked during this various montage here. Yeah. where it shows the tables in the CIA oh, base yes, yes. getting larger and larger and larger as he gives them more info. That yeah. was a neat idea. Yeah. We also get a bunch of speeches. They say the SAR bomba has been detonated, a 50-megaton uh, yes. bomb, which is still, I believe, the largest bomb ever detonated. 
And Emily, back at Langley, she's meeting with one of her superiors, and he's showing her all the stuff that she's got that they've gotten from uh, from Alex. Mm-hmm. And of course, he insults the Brits, saying it almost makes it worth it to have to work with those, you know, stuff stuck-up Brits. Those damn Jerry's or something. Yeah. I don't know. Something <laughs> anti-British. But she says basically, you know, they're nice guys, and basically, you just got to make them think that they're in charge. That's so great. And then she says something like, "Oh wow, I'm learning so much from you." That was really funny. <laughs> but yeah, so Greville watches on TV as the Berlin Wall goes up. And his yeah. wife's asking, you know, is he sure it's still safe to go there? Is it, he downplays her, plays it. And then like also like insults her saying, just let me run my business how I want to. Yeah, he's getting a little bit shorter with his wife and then definitely yeah. later with his kid. But I do yeah. like when he was like, uh-uh, the Berlin Wall is in Berlin. I'm going <laughs> yeah. to Moscow. Very far away. <laughs> yeah, like they don't have anything to do with one another. During this montage, Greville is like working out more. Like we first see him like struggling to do like two push-ups, and then later his wife passes by. He's doing a bunch of sit-ups. He does finger push-ups at one point, I think. Does he really? I missed that. That's impressive. I've had to do some of those, and they're terrible. He continues to go to Moscow, and the stress is starting to get to him. Like he pukes on a plane at one point. They go on a holiday camping trip. When I say they, I mean Greville and his family. But yeah. his son, Andrew, forgets the raincoats, and he has a full-on meltdown. Well, I wouldn't say a meltdown, but he yells at him. He gets mad. I think it was funny that apparently British people drive to, like, a trailer park, put a tent there, and just, like, hang out there. Oh, it looked within, like a trailer park. Within, like, a... Uh, no, not a trailer park. It's the equivalent of one. It was, like, like a campsite. It was a, a campsite. campsite. Yeah, but it was funny that there's like, another family within, like, a stone's throw of them. I mean, when was the last time you got to camping? Never. Okay, no, this is like what it's what how it is. It's not just a British thing. You go mm-hmm. to Shenandoah, you get a plot. There'll be someone who's right next door. It didn't look like the great outdoors to me. It looked like suburbia. No, that, that it looked outdoorsy enough. They're also not like extremely well off, so you know this is probably what they could do for you know a nice holiday. Yeah, that's fine. So the point is, he's starting to crack up a little bit. Yeah, and then like around the campfire, his wife grills him. Uh, and then later, the wives fail the Bechdel test. His oh. wife and one of her friends. So the excuse that Greville gives is that his business is hitting a rough patch. And mm-hmm. that's why he's getting all stressed. But yeah, like you said, the wife, Sheila, talks to one of her friends. Like She starts suspecting that Greville might be having an affair again. He did it once before. And so his wife asks him to stop going to Moscow. And it also reminded me of Parmani. I'm sure there are other movies we've done too, where you, the spy. Oh, you always talk about this. This is like so. My pet peeve is the talking about classified intel in like mm-hmm. public locations. Your one of yours is the nagging wife trope. Yeah, that wasn't great, and it actually gets worse here. But I was thinking more that you have the spy, and he does the spy stuff, and his wife thinks he has an affair. Oh, that—that's what you're going for. Okay. Yeah. We don't get that many nagging wives too much, I don't think. You've talked so about far. it a few times. Yeah. But yeah, she's like, stop going to Moscow. And he's like, I do what I want. <laughs> Back in Moscow on one of his trips. And so on a walk together, Greville asks Alex when he might be ready to defect. And he tells Greville that not yet, but it's like, if you look at what's going on here, sure, the city, Moscow, everything in here is fine go up further out into you know places where like where Alex is from and there's a, a lot of suffering and everything and he talks about when he does defect he wants to bring his fam- family to Montana be a cowboy and do that and it's remind me of what's his face the first officer from 
Red October, who wanted to move Montana, right? That's right. What is it with Montana and Russians? I the Cowboys. They like the great outdoors. Or I wonder, and this is just a personal theory, is yeah. the great open spaces as opposed to like the shut-in, very narrow life. I mean, no, that, that's probably exactly what it is, yeah. Yeah. Next, we go to an analyst. Looks at the report. We have no idea what's in it, but we don't find out until like a scene later. I like this. He makes a chalk mark on a pole very sneakily to tell his contact that he wants to set up a meet. And he speaks to who we find out is a KGB agent. And he says that he's been seeing a lot of new intel coming from the Soviet section. Yeah, this guy looked like Steve Buscemi for a second, but then it turned out it wasn't. <laughs> yeah. So he is a mole within presumably the CIA. Mm-hmm. And he says that I don't actually have access to all this stuff. It's all above his clearance. But it doesn't sound like this is coming from intercepts. It's no. coming from a source. That's right. So now the KGB is getting suspicious. Next, we go to a meeting that Khrushchev is having. Yeah, where he's just talking about Cuba, right? Right. And then I had to think about, wait, what's our timeline here? Where are we? And is this post-Cuban Missile Crisis or no? And of course, we find out very soon after. Oh, it's it's before. Right after that, we go to the CIA, where Emily is bringing her superiors the intel about Cuba. And they don't yeah. believe it. And like Emily begs them to take it seriously. When Greville gets back to his hotel, he notices that he's very meticulously placed. So he has like uh, a dictionary, a notebooks, uh, I forget what else, like a pens are all very placed in straight lines. Uh-huh. But his dictionary is upside down. Oh, I don't think I realized that. I just was like, why is he staring at his dictionary? That's good. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it's just like, remember uh, Spy Museum? Yeah, I remember Spy the Spy Museum. Museum. I had this whole, well, for our audience who may have not experienced this. Okay. They had this whole interactive, it was almost like an escape room in a way, which was called Operation Spy, hmm. where you go through different things. For example, you'd have to like filter out a transmission to get it to be clear. But one of the most fun things is when you have to case a, uh, a room, you have to search an entire room. And then you have to make sure everything is placed back in exactly where it was before. And there would be a comparison later. Like they, they would use a photo of where it was and where it, and before and after to show how much percentage of stuff was moved. The photos actually show very specific places where you do it wrong. Yep. It isn't just like, yeah, you did okay, or no, you didn't do okay. Like, they don't just tell you. It was, like, and, it was uh, percentages, yeah? Yeah, and no group I've ever done it with has actually done it well. I feel like we did it okay. Mm. But if Greville had, no- had been there, if it was Greville's room we were searching, he would have noticed, because I'm sure one of us would have put something upside down. Yeah, it's harder to do than it looks, as it turns out. Yeah. Next, we go to the KGB, who comes to see Alex and tells him that they're starting to suspect Greville. That's right. And Oleg says, you can trust me. He's oh, yes. fine. All he cares about is making money. Oh, yeah, that's where, that's where they say that, yes. Yes. So Greville goes to the British Embassy. Apparently, this is one of his dead drops. It's an interesting place to have a dead drop. Is the bathroom? Yeah, it's a bathroom, but and it's like a hollowed out. It looked like a WD-40 can or something. It seemed no. a little bit obvious to me. Really? I mean, okay. Are you really going to look for that in the British? Or not, or, yeah, British Embassy in the bathroom of the British Embassy? Yeah, it's probably only because I was looking for something unusual that I would think to look there. Yeah, but I, I think we have the burden of all right. We've seen too many spy movies, so we know where we know what we would think to look for. Absolutely. The CIA talks about getting a U two in the air, which gave me flashbacks, of course, to Bridge of Spies, and of course, it's the Kennedy Thirteen one. days. Thirteen days. Thank you. 
It's funny you mention that. This is very similar to 13 Days and Bridge of Spies. Yeah. But also, and this is the second time in two weeks I'm going to bring this up, is Rogue One. <laughs> okay. All right. Because well. in the beginning of 13 Days, they're like, here are the pictures. And you would never oh, even think. Yeah. Here's a, there's a whole story about how they get the pictures. That, that is a fair comparison. All right. Yeah. I'm not going <laughs> to. And this is that story. But I liked how they said, you know, there's too much cloud cover to get a U2 in, up in the air until October. It's like, oh, oh, yeah. October. So we're in 1962 now. Well, I thought they were going to be like, okay, we can't get photos until October, so let's figure out a workaround. But nope, they just wait until October. <laughs> well, we, I guess we don't really know what time period this is yet. Like, we don't know how long October is until then. So maybe it was just like September, and this, then next month is October. Wake me up when September ends. <laughs> yeah, some dates would have been pretty helpful for getting all that straight. So Greville meets again with James and Emily, tells them about his room being searched. Yeah. James wants to pull Gravel out, and Emily wants to keep him in play. The CIA basically, in the scene before, said that Emily is their only source of intel about this. It's the classic problem of this is like a John le Carre thing. The higher up <laughs> need more info, but the risk is getting worse, so which is more important? It's not going to be their lives. Spoiler alert. So, Gravel is worried about Alex, though, because he realizes if they're searching me, they're going to get to him. Yep. And James makes the point of, oh, well, you know, if he's still coming here for the UK trade summit, right? As, oh, yeah. As, uh, well, if they were suspecting him, they wouldn't allow him to travel. So as long as he comes, he's not, not in suspicion. How would under I phrase suspicion. that? Not under <laughs> suspicion. Thank you. <laughs> mm-hmm. James tells Greville, you're done. Don't worry about Cuba. Just you can leave it all, all behind. And Emily is pissed at James for pulling Greville out. Mm-hmm. And then Alex at his office has what looks like a heart attack. Yeah, I said he was sick, but it did seem like he was poisoned because he was like drinking something. And then I also thought it was over. poison. But I was wondering if it was the cigarettes that the KGB guy left him. Oh, yeah, I mean, maybe. Do you say later that they poisoned him, but they didn't say how? Oh, did they? I, I missed that they said that they poisoned him. Oh yeah, we'll we'll get to it when we okay. get to it. I guess. All right. So yeah, he looks like he has what a heart attack or something, and then we get the U two flight over Cuba as it's taking photos. Yeah, so I guess the world didn't stop spinning just because Greville was taken off the case. Oh, yeah. So Alex's family goes to visit him in the hospital, and they say that they need to keep him there a few days. The wife goes and talks to him by themselves and reveals that she's pregnant, which I called as soon as she said, I didn't want to tell you before. I was like, oh, yeah, no, she's definitely pregnant. What else is she going to say? It's not like she knows anything else of interest. Ah. And then we cut to Greville, along with like pretty much everyone else, either watching or listening to the JFK speech, which did 13 days have this speech? I'm pretty sure, right? Yeah, because I remember talking about how he goes as an attack. An attack. <laughs> I mean, you know, I'm exaggerating I'm su- it a little bit. <laughs> I'm surprised that we haven't had more accents in this episode because of all the Russians. But I guess I haven't really attempted it yet. <laughs> I know better than to try to do a Russian accent. Thank you. Oh, man. But I feel like wasn't the same speech in uh, X-Men First Class? This is whether they're watching it on TV, too. They're watching an AGFK speech. I don't remember if it was this one. Yeah, it was Cuban Missile Crisis speech that everyone yeah. everyone knows. Yeah, I, th- I think it was this one. Anyway, so Alex, after a meeting, is told that he's not required to attend the London trade fair anymore. The mm-hmm. minister, as in Khrushchev, says that his other work is too important. So, uh-oh, there's your, uh-oh. Alarm, your red flags raised. Seriously. The CAA calls Emily and says, oh, you know, the, the Russians aren't backing down and you're either with Americans. It's out of our hands now. 
Yeah. So basically, Greville is notified that they want to get Oleg out, but they can't get him out. So they're like, what are we going to do? Are we going to leave him behind? Yeah. What's, and what's so the rest? They said that basically, well, they said that he, and he even brings up the point that you told him that it, whenever he wanted out, he could get out. Is it? Like, yeah. But we would a family trip to Berlin and then get them across the wall. We wouldn't try to pull them out in the middle of Moscow. Well, they say later that if they could get him out of Moscow, they're good to go. But I guess at the time, they're like, it's too dangerous. I mean, that's like, think of like someone being extracted from Washington, D.C. Like, that, it's, it would be, fingers crossed, an impossibility to have that done. Well, one would hope, yes. But then Greville says a Michael Burnham line. Oh? He says, there is a way to get him out. Me. <laughs> Which, for those of you who've seen Star Trek Discovery, Michael Burnham says some variation of that, like, four or five times. Maybe a slight exaggeration, but you know what? I, I mean, Once you said it that way, I was like, okay, I can kind of see it. Mm-hmm. Well, they all try to make the point that if Greville was in this situation, Alex would abandon him. He's like, no, you guys may have spied with him, but I've gotten to know the man. I've spent much more time with you than you have, and he would never abandon me. And so I'm going to go in, and I'm going to get him. <laughs> I'm going to go back and tell him, which I was kind of like, why didn't they just use some other British businessman? Because then Oleg wouldn't trust them. Yeah. How does he know that they're not turned? They're like they ha- I mean, that's it's the balance between I don't, this isn't even just going beyond like these two, but just like like usually, you know, a source and an officer build that trust in that relationship. And it's tough when you have to have someone else to take over that that contact. Mm, I see. But yeah, so Greville says he's going to go in and Emily says she'll go with him. But James like brings up the very poor point of the very important point that she'll have diplomatic immunity. She's at no risk to herself. Yeah. And like James, like begs Greville, don't do this. This is not a good call. Don't do it. Don't do it. But Greville is going to do it. And his wife catches him packing. And he's like, I just have one last account in Moscow to close. I was like, all right, well, what about tonight? Where are you staying? I think a hotel would be best. Ooh, ooh. Her last words to him before everything goes down. Mm -hmm. Yikes. So he gets to Moscow meets with Alex and like they go to ho- his hotel room and like before they can talk I like this Alex turns on a radio really loud and they whisper very close to one another so no even if everyone was the room was bugged it'd be mm. very hard to discern what they were saying though it is a little suspicious you yeah. hear a door open and then you hear the radio go on I mean I don't know whatever yeah <laughs> Emily goes to Moscow as well and then she goes to the US embassy that, and tells the CIA person at the embassy what the plan is to get Alex and his family out. Yeah, they have this whole plan to go through Finland, basically. Yeah. Everyone's watching this UN meeting. This is probably the same one from 14 Days, where it's like, don't wait for the translation. Yeah, I had to look it up. It was Adlai Stevenson who did that's that. That's right. Yes, yes. But that's right. So I, I assume that was that same one, right? Yeah, it is. Greville was watching it in the U.S. Embassy, and I was like, why is he in the U.S. Embassy? I, I thought about that. I was like, that seems suspicious. It's just strange, yeah. Like, especially whatever. if they're watching him. Maybe that's what gave him away. Uh, but then he communicates the message that Oleg is ready to Emily with a magnetic notepad. It was like a children's I toy. I remember what it was called, but yeah, like, what? That's great. I it's didn't think it had a specific yet, name. But, but, like, it's those things where you have the film of paper and you write on it and then you, like, lift it up and it all, the message just goes away. Yeah, or you, like, shake it or something like yeah. that. That's funny. You know, that's pretty clever because, you know, there's literally no trace of it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the message is that he's ready. Devil goes to see Alex. They go to a ballet. I believe this was Swan Lake. Well, the music certainly sounded familiar. Yeah. 
And mm-hmm. so they actually show the ballet this time, which was like, I was because, because, you know, they piped it up so much last time of the, it's the Russian ballet. So, and seeing them perform, mm-hmm. they looked pretty good. Yeah. As they're watching the ballet, you know, they're ready, getting very emotional because they know that this is, time is up. And Alex likes to having, is having flashbacks of like where he's hiding the photographs that he's took. Yeah. So Greville and Alex are getting ready f- to perform the operation. Emily's briefed on the U.S.'s plan that, you know, if they remove the nukes from Turkey, the Russians will stand down. Alex takes Greville to the airport. The CIA, others, the CIA agent uh, at the embassy causes his diversion, like, cha- like gets a bunch of KGB guys to run after him. Emily goes inside a bookshop, does a quick change, and Greville gets on the plane. And they're about to take off, but then there's a delay. Yes. And Alex goes back to his house, tells his family, get ready, we need to go. And of course, the KGB is there. Yeah, I know. It. it was crazy. I did not know what was going to happen. So this I, part was really effective. I, like, I, as this was going on, I was like, I could just look up what, what happened to them. But no, I, I want to see this play out because I, I really don't know what happened. Yeah, so you think that Greville's good, but then they come up to him and they're like, get off the plane. So you're like, crap. And then you think Emily's good, but then she gets arrested too. Yeah, and then back at Alex's house, the KGB, like, makes him tell his wife that he's a traitor. Yes. And And they they reveal that they searched his home when he was in the hospital. So is this where they said they poisoned him? I missed that. Yes, they literally say... I believe you, I just just missed it, yeah. Yeah, they say, we had you poisoned and searched the house because we knew you weren't going to be around. Oh, jeez. But yeah, so Emily gets declared persona non grata, and she has to leave in 24 hours. So I've always wondered, when you get declared persona non grata, do they have to, like, put you out on a special flight? Or can you you fly on a regular commercial flight out? Like, how do they get you out of there? I think it's your problem. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) <laughs> also, I'm just a little surprised that he gave you like 24 hours and not just like get on a plane immediately. Oh, come on. They're not unreasonable. They may be evil dictators, but they know people need time to get Soviet their go- travel plans. <laughs> the Soviet government. Uh, <laughs> Greville gets taken to a Soviet prison and like they force him to strip and they like shave his head and his mustache off. He gets interrogated and then taken to his cell. And like, I was impressed. Like once he gets to his cell, he just starts doing push-ups. It's like, wow, that's your first impulse. That would not have been my first impulse. Yeah. I guess he knows he's going to be in there for a while. So he just needs to like do something to keep fit and keep his strength up. Yeah. He says at some point we had to try. Yeah. No, that was not him. That was James. Oh, it was James. Yeah. Yeah. So actually Emily goes to see James and they, they both say that like, you know, it's like, you were right. Is it? No, you were right. Is it? We had to try. Yeah. I like that. They go and see Greville's wife and mm-hmm. tell her that Greville was arrested. They're trying to keep up the cover that, you know, that all oh, this is all nonsense, but she like sees right through it and figures it out. Yeah. They barely softball it though. <laughs> yeah. They're like, he's in trouble. And we can't say why. Wink, wink. So as this is going on, like Emily talks to Sheila and says that, all right, yes, okay, you know the truth. But when you talk to anyone about this, you have to play it like that is complete nonsense. Because if anyone finds out that it is, they're going to treat him much harsher. As long as they keep thinking that he's just a courier and not a spy, Mm. then he's fine. He might might be in there. He might be physically tortured, but he'll be alive. Yeah, but in the next scene, that's sort of undermined, because the Soviets say they basically know everything. They say that, but I mean, that's classic interrogation. You tell them that you know everything already, so just tell us, so they don't feel like they have anything left to hide. 
Yeah, but they say stuff that they know, which is all correct. Like what? I've refreshed my memory. Well, I don't have it written down, but it's, <laughs> it's, it's things like Pankowski would give you stuff and then you'd take it to the UK. Right, and that's all fun. Like, basically, <laughs> as long as he, they, he keeps up this facade that he didn't know what was in those packages, they won't mm-hmm. kill him. Yeah, he as long as he's everything. playing it as, you know, I just I was just doing this. Like, yes, he did something. Yes, he was involved. But if he didn't know anything, then he can't. They like it'll be much easier for him. Yeah, he plays dumb, but his motivation while playing dumb makes sense. He's like, they paid me, and that's all I care about. Yeah, yeah. He goes to that stereotype of the greedy capitalist. Or he says, like, they're my clients. Of course, I'm going to do things to make them like me. If that means that he needed to me to drop off a package in the, you know, in the UK, I would do it. Yeah, a favor for a client. Yeah, but I was very impressed how he kept his composure during this mm-hmm. time. Yeah. But you also see, like, a scene of him, like, enduring the Soviet winter. Like, there's a hole in a window that he tries to, like, patch up with just some, like, cloth or something. Yeah. He's still doing his push-ups, but he's getting weaker. Mm-hmm. And, like, during some of the interrogations, they try to, like, tempt him with food, but he doesn't give in. Yeah, it's food combined with a signed confession letter. Yeah. And then one of Sheila's friends comes by to see her, and Sheila does a pretty good job of, like, convincing her friend that this is completely preposterous. She, she says, like, Greville could even hide his affair from me. He's stealing state, state secrets. Yeah, it's like a marvelous Mrs. Maisel bet. Like, my <laughs> husband's an idiot. He can't be a spy. <laughs> funny when she's like okay nice talking to you goodbye <laughs> yeah yes. so greville is you know interrogated again and like mm-hmm. he's brought to back to his cell and this time he just has a breakdown he and like throws stuff at the like little people they have yeah so they win and beat him mm-hmm. and then we cut to six months later yeah six and, months from who knows when to who knows when but it's six well, months later. i mean it's six, six months like right on the eve of the cuban missile crisis so what uh, that was october so mm-hmm. November, December, January, February, March, April? Yeah. Presumably, yeah. But Sheila actually comes to see Greville in the Russian prison, and he looks gaunt. He's, like, lost a lot of weight. He's basically, like, skin over a skeleton at this point. Yeah, he looks like Gollum. <laughs> it was, like, interesting. As he's saying this, he says not to blame the Russians. Yeah, and so wait, 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 yeah, wait. What was with that? That was interesting, because it made me think, like, maybe they turned him. That's what I was going to get to. It was like, I, like... I was a little afraid that he, that they got to him, they turned him, and right, that, yeah. But then I'm like, well, he was not very political, really. No. I mean, they, he even says it himself. I just stay out of the politics. Everyone needs materials because he served his country. But the idea that he was preventing a nuclear war, really, as we discussed, that's what convinced him to finally take the plunge. Yeah. So, so Sheila says to him that the for, like foreign office says that you know it's a good sign that she they actually allowed her to visit. Mm-hmm. And then he asks about Cuba at one point, and she reveals a little. Says that you know they've backed down. Yes, the missiles are removed. He did it! Yay! But then, the, like the guard, like stops it. No more talk of this. No more talk of this. Stop talking about this. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, I thought was funny. You don't usually hear guards say stuff in these prison movies. So oh, they also like he also said that you know you guys no no touching. <laughs> yes. And before this scene ends, she does tell him that you know it could take a while still to get him out maybe another year and i actually mm. like this that where he like just he doesn't want to talk about anything else he just like tell me about home what am i missing and she like talks about the guard and everything and it mm. definitely feels like that gets his spirits up a little bit more and then our spy trio the two 
Brits and uh, Emily meet, and the Brits like make the point that they can't offer anyone of high value because it sends a message that Greville was actually, you know, a spy. Yeah, I didn't like this. I felt like the emotional climax of the movie was when they got arrested. So I was like, we don't want more conflict. Like, are we going to have to deal it, with the whole getting about? I appreciated the point of that, because I was just like, all right, why don't they just trade a spy for him? Something. I was actually thinking about this. So I right. appreciated that they made that make sense. Well, that's what they end up doing. So then why well, have well, them talk okay, about Okay, but it wasn't a high-value spy. And mm-hmm. also, I like that the point that Emily brings up, where she says that if, like, if he dies in there, no one will ever trust MI6 to keep them safe. No spy will ever come forward to work for you, because they know that you won't keep them safe. Yeah, well, even if he doesn't die, it's like, you're from I-6, you end up in a gulag. It's not a whole lot better. So, now we get to the big emotional scene. Yes. Gravel is being interrogated yet again, and then mm-hmm. they bring in Alex. And this is all, like, he's in, like, it's very, well, it's not well lit, so, like, the only light is on uh, Gravel. And so Alex is sort of in the darkness, but he can, and he says that, you know, I haven't seen a mirror in a long time, but I'm like, but so I may not look like you remember me. Mm. But you can tell from the voice that it's Alex. Yep. Alex, like, apologizes and is like, I'm sorry for what I had to do. Is I had to protect my family. So, of course, I told them that I gave them, you know, that, that I was used you to send the photos that the KGB, or that the Americans used to find the missiles in Cuba. And, of course, I told them that you knew nothing about what was in the packages. It's like, mm. oh, so he kept, uh, kept that up. So he protected Greville. I was like, wow. Just like Greville knew he would. That's so nice. And he's like, and I'm sorry that it was all for nothing. And when he says that, of course, Greville's like, oh, wait, I know. I know that the... And so Greville reveals to Alex that Khrushchev is withdrawing the missiles from Cuba because of what they did. He actually saved the world. And the Soviets and... do not like that. No, so they're like, as he's like shouting, he's like, oh, it's because of you, Alex. It's because of you. Mm. They like pull him out of the room. But Alex, knowing that what he did actually mattered, like he has mm-hmm. like some silent manly tears. <laughs> yeah. And next we go to one year later. Greville mm-hmm. is taken to probably his first shower in what, uh, a year and a half? Right. He gets released in exchange for a Soviet spy, Conan Melody. Mm-hmm. And as he gets home, like reporters are swarming the door. And as this, like, as he gets into his home and sees his home for the first time in a year and a half, he starts remembering like all his conversations with Alex and everything that Alex did, and just all remembering his like his final time he saw Alex. Yeah. Did you buy this relationship between them? By the way, I did. I did, as a matter of fact. Okay. And so we next get a little card, like the, you know, those end credit cards of we find out that Greville actually resumed his business and he but it, it died peacefully in 1990. Penkovsky was executed and buried in an unmarked grave, but his family was allowed to live quietly in Moscow. Mm-hmm. And but like together, the you know they smuggled out over five thousand secrets, and that Penkovsky was like the most valuable asset the West ever had. Mm-hmm. And after the Cold War or after the Cuban Missile Crisis, they set up the hotline between the Kremlin and the White House so that we could never be brought to the brink of nuclear war again. That's right. And then we get some actual footage of Greville Wynn after he came back. Yeah, and he seemed like the kind of person I would want to see more of. He's, I like, mean, really thought, nice. I, I thought like. that Brendan Cumberbatch had, like, a good portrayal of him without being, like, an exact mimicry, but just I gave it the you know, overall feeling of him. 
Yeah, I don't remember exactly what he said, but I remember being like, Ooh. "Oh, well." Actually, talked. So it was an interview after he came back, and just you know, and the quite like question. It was asking, "What are you going to do now?" And he says, "Well, I would like to resume my business." So it was a, for the same company, at, like with a little wink, set with hinting like you would work for MI6. Yeah. No, 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 for my company, selling materials. And they said, "Would you ever go back to the Eastern Block to do sales?" Like, well, that's a question I'm not prepared to answer right now. Yeah, he was great. Yeah. <laughs> And then apparently, this is jumping ahead to Spy Effect versus Fiction. Yeah. He was on This Is Your Life, which oh, is really? a TV show where they have to guess who people are. Yes, yes. Uh, I'm trying to remember what movie I saw where they actually included. I think it was uh, Catch Me If You Can. They have. Yeah, uh, that sounds right. That, yeah, that guy. What's his face? Frank Anyways, something. Frank Abagnale. Yeah. All right. Ready for uh, Spy Fact versus Fiction? Yes, let's get into it. My sources were BBC on this day in 1963 about him being arrested, Wikipedia and History versus Hollywood.com, which I'm going to have to go back to later. So Penkowski also gave his business card to two British businessmen when trying Uh to recruit people. Greville was selected because he often traveled to Eastern Europe for work. Okay, so that's accurate then. Yeah. Yeah. Penkowski was motivated more by dislike of the Soviet system. Huh, than a desire to prevent of... a nuclear war. Okay. Yeah. Angus Wright's character, MI6 Dickie Franks, was a real person All right. who worked for the SIS, but didn't have anything to do with the recruitment of Greville Wynn. Really? Oh, okay. Yeah. There were reports that he had, but those turned out to be wrong. Emily okay. is not a real person. She's right. an amalgamation. Because of the Spy Museum, we were able to get a, you know early view of this. Mm-hmm. And they also had a happy hour a spy museum, or what, they, what do they call them? I don't remember. But they had a interview with the director of the movie, and and they talked about how Emily was, yeah, like it's that amalgamate. She was completely fiction, and it was actually mm-hmm. two men who were on the CIA side who were running it. But I believe that the person who actually recruited Greville to do this was a woman, and so they okay. wanted to make sure that there was that female representation in the movie, even if they had to, you know, combine a few characters for that. Very normal. No complaints there. Yeah. So there's no evidence that Greville had an affair in the past. Oh, so that was just the. <laughs> well, history versus Hollywood said it's likely he did, and I wonder <laughs> well, what. They, yeah, like where's that coming from? Yeah. In real life, Sheila divorced him after he was released from the Moscow prison. Oh. He married his second wife, Herma Van Buren. Okay. In 1970, she was his secretary. Maybe that's who he had an affair with the first time. Yeah. What I'm talking about a cliche, but then. They separated several years prior to his death in 1990. Okay. The movie revealed that top KGP officials knew that Penkovsky was a double agent for more than a year, but wanted to protect their source, which was a mole in MI6. Oh, was this Kim Philby? Yeah, I believe so. They waited to build up a case against him that didn't expose the mole. So the big emotional scene that you said, the prison meeting is entirely fiction. I knew that. Like I said, you know, the Spy Museum had their thing and they revealed that probably a farce, but they would have seen each other at like the the trial. Oleg was executed by firing squad one week after the trial. So he definitely was not alive six months later. And finally, Greville was arrested in Budapest. Penkovsky gave him up during interrogation. Oh, so so it wasn't. Oh, interesting. He pleaded guilty with certain reservations at the trial and was sentenced to eight years in prison. He hugged his wife in a side room before going back to prison. So his wife was at the trial. Okay. And he wrote two books later about his experience. And that is it for Spy Fact versus Fiction. All right. Now we move on to our favorite quotes. Uh, Do you have a few? 
Yeah, I do. So when they're talking about the Cuban Missile Crisis, somebody says, it's out of our hands. Anything could happen, which I liked. And then another one, when they're trying to get Greville to be a carrier for the first time, someone says, we believe the risk to you is minimal and we'll pay you. <laughs> so I like that. All right. So I liked, I'm not going to go into this whole thing, but I liked his like usual spiel. He's like says about how, you know, I'm just here to listen. And if you tell me what your problems are, and if I have a client that may have a solution, let's talk it through. If not, let's keep drinking. And I also like when Greville, when he's being, when he meets James and Emily at the hotel bar, he says, James, I know you had an, you said you had an office at the Board of Trade, but is it possible you work for a different branch of Her Majesty's government? Hmm. Nothing gets past him. Yeah. And I also like James, who says, like, when they're trying to get him to go, he says, if this mission was the least bit dangerous, you really are the last man we'd send. It's like, ouch. Yeah, because he was like old and out of shape, they said. Yeah. He, he was in the war as a private, but never saw any combat. Yeah, but I'm like, is he really the last man? Yeah. I could think of some worse ones, but and okay. Final quote. Now, most important question. If you want to do business in Moscow, I need to know, can you hold your alcohol? <laughs> yeah, he says that a couple times, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> No, just the once, but it was it was enough that it made me laugh. Because, mm. of course, Russians love drinking vodka. Actually, I do my best Russian accents when I'm drinking, like, a shot of vodka. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of actors like using props to help them get in character, so that makes sense. Alrighty. Alright, now it's time for our ratings on a scale of 1 to 10 martinis. Not vodka martinis, necessarily. <laughs> so maybe scale, gin, yeah. One being the worst spy movie, for example, the worst one we've seen so far is The Avengers 1997, and 10 being the greatest spy movie, even better than Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol. How would we <laughs> rate The Courier? I can go first. Okay. So when I saw the advertisement and the trailer for this movie, I was like, this looks generic. It looks <laughs> boring. It looks like something we've seen a million times before. Bridge of Spies mixed with 13 Days. But then once it looked like he was going to get exposed and they had to escape, things were starting to pick up. I'm not really an actor person. Okay. When an actor is acting, that doesn't really do much (laughs) for me. But as the movie went on, I was getting more into it. I was like, yeah, this is on the better side of pretty good. So I am going to give it 7 out of 10, Martin. Also, it had a Chubby Checker song, which always pushes up half the Martin (laughs) in it. All right. So I, like you, I like the trailers and already sort of marketing for this didn't really catch me. Like, all right, you know, I enjoy Benedict Cumberbatch. So yeah, maybe, I'll, you know, and then once we got, we were, got the invite from the Spy Museum, I was like, okay, of course, I'll give this a watch. But as I got into it, I was, got, I was really drawn into it. And I thought it was really well done, even though, you know, like you said, some of the parts of it or even characters are, you know, more there to provide the feeling of it than actually being historically accurate. Mm-hmm. I thought it was really well done. I thought, like, yeah, the character Greville Wynn, like, I wasn't sure where he was going to go. Like, when I first heard about, like, this movie, The Courier, I thought it was the other way around, that he was going to be, like, a spy for the KGB or something mm-hmm. like that. And then seeing his his Michael Burnham turn at the at that point where he says, you guys are saying there's only one way to do it, but there is one way, me. And, like, mm-hmm. I was like, wow, all right, Greville's stepping up. I'm, I was impressed, and I really enjoyed it. So I'm actually going to give this an 8 out of 10. Great. Yeah, if you are into Benedict Cumberbatch, it would get a recommendation. But otherwise, it's going to be hard to pick it out of a lineup. 
Would you say it's safe to say? I mean, if you say it's a very good, solid, like, World War II spy movie, and mm-hmm. especially if you are interested in another, if you really liked the, Cold, the Cuban Missile Crisis, and you want to learn about another aspect of it, I'd say this is your movie. Yeah, if you want to know the Rogue One side story. <laughs> exactly. All right, thank you for joining us on the SpyFi, guys. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And please be sure to leave a good review. Until next time, I'm Zach. And I'm Christian. And we are the SpyFi guys signing off. Thank you for listening to the SpyFi guys. If you enjoyed our podcast, please be sure to give us a five-star rating on iTunes. The theme song from this podcast is Mistake the Getaway by Kevin MacLeod from Incompetech.com. Licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0. Films, books, and television shows reviewed by our podcast are the intellectual property of their respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. This is a personal podcast. Any views, statements, or opinions expressed in this podcast are personal and belong solely to the participants. They do not represent those of people, institutions, or organizations that the participants may or may not be associated with in a professional or personal capacity unless explicitly stated. Any views or opinions are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, or individual. You can find our podcast on social media at The Spy Fi Guys on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.